Good morning, Brandywine Grace. Jumping in here. Not um, not getting used to this, guys. This is so weird. I feel more nervous doing these sermons with in the videos than I do standing in front of a few hundred people on Sunday mornings. Um, so pray for me as we, we get started right now. I want to begin by thanking you guys. I just feel like the church is doing such a great job at trying to stay connected through the isolation this crisis has created. I think you're doing a really good job at trying to care for one another. I love the pictures of missional communities meeting virtually. And, and I love some of the text messages that you've sent me, emails that I've received. It seems like the Word of God right now, and it makes sense that in the moment of crisis, the preaching of God's Word is hitting people in ways that maybe in moments of prosperity it doesn't always hit us. So I'm really thankful. Keep sending me all of those, uh, your comments, your thoughts. Keep posting them on, on social media. There's been uh, the BGC One Minute Challenge has been going on. I've been looking at those. Um, I, I was told there was like 700 people on the, the, the checked into the Bible study on Wednesday night. We've been getting hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people watching the, the YouTube videos on Sunday morning. Um, it seems like you've been blessed by these things. We're trying to do our best through this. Speaking of which, uh, I want to talk about money for just a minute. Every other company's doing it, so the church ought to do it as well. You get an email. I get emails all the time from companies on how they're dealing with uh, business through crisis. It, it, just about an hour ago, I think we finished up doing our second food distribution, food and product distribution in the community. Over 40 families last week came to receive uh, food and household products. It was great to just be a blessing to the community. That's what we've been praying for, is that we'd actually be, be able to do things in the community that make a difference. So we've been able to, to do that and to serve partners who are in need. And, and uh, last week I told you that, that, two, that a few, more than two, a few partners have been contributing to the, to the benevolence fund for the COVID crisis and had donated up, upwards of $5,000 uh, for us to continue to do benevolence. So I'm very thankful for that. I'm thankful for your generosity. I'm thankful for your heart to serve. But I want to encourage you, church, to remember that we're 100% member-supported. That's what some of the radio stations are telling me in my emails. That's true for us as well. Uh, the funds for Brandywine Grace come from the partners. It's partners that are, that are committed to giving to God through the local church. They're committed to the vision and mission of this church. So I want to encourage you that even through this crisis, as you're able to keep uh, to keep giving to the church. A lot of you are giving online, have been giving online. That's much easier to do than if you're, if you're uh, giving when, you, when we pass the baskets. But uh, we've been putting the links in there every week. There, it's, you can send your check to the mail. There's someone at the church picking those things up and processing those things. So I just want to encourage us, church, to continue to be to, to faithfully give and to be generous as disciples of Jesus Christ, committed to the vision and mission of Brandywine Grace, and, and God's going to get us through these, these times. Thank you for your generosity. Thank you for your commitment to Jesus. Thank you for your willingness to even give above and beyond uh, your regular giving to things like the COVID Benevolence Fund. All right, let's jump into to God's Word. You know, this crisis... This crisis has really uh, thrust us 
into a time where, unlike any that we've ever experienced before, right? This is, this, this feels so surreal. It feels so, we feel so unstable because we are a people who up to this point in history have been unable, we are unable to even imagine a life where we can't do what we want when we want. I mean, isn't that true? It's, this is amazing. We can't do what we want when we want to do it. And the pandemic is exposing flaws in our sense of security, exposing things we've put our security in. It's exposing how spiritually vulnerable we are, how compromised we are. And I hope, church, that we benefit from what the co- what God is doing with the COVID crisis in our lives. He's slowing us down. He wants to teach us something. And I hope we, we reemerge from the cocoons of COVID, recalibrated, rethinking God, rethinking Jesus, rethinking the, our, the purpose of our lives, rethinking the, the great goodness and, and love of God and the gospel. I, I pray that, that we are changed by this, that we get out of this, whatever God wants for us, that we wouldn't waste what he's doing here. I was listening to a podcast recently, and it was a doctor who was being interviewed, a Christian doctor, and he was talking about how we have placed in our society, even as Christians, so much confidence in medical technology, in medical advances, in our medical capabilities. And and what it's done is it's, it's enabled us to, to be secure in our ability to conquer disease and to delay death and to, to, to uh, set aside, if you will, deny death and the discomfort that it brings. We've been able to set it out of the normal fabric of our everyday lives. We've been able to push it to the side and place our security in medical technology. Then COVID-19 happens and it shocks, it, it, it shakes our belief systems and it shocks us. And the shock results in our fears. We talked about that last week. We, we are anxious, we're even angry. We're asking questions like, how dare someone or something disturb our sense of well-being? Life has become for all of us It's become unstable. And the need of the hour is for stability. Stability for us, Brandywine Grace, stability for us, BGC fam, is being controlled by the Holy Spirit and not being controlled by the spirit of the age. Stability comes from being controlled by the spirit and not the spirit of the age. We've been talking a lot about what it will look like in our communities and in our world if Christians live with confidence in God, if we actually live out of what we believe, if our, if our thoughts about Jesus and the doctrine and our theology actually functions for us, it'll give practical expression and we should look different than, than the world. We should be people who have an inner stability and an inner peace 
And that, that stability, that inner stability will have a calming effect. It'll function as a damping agent on all the anxiety that's all around us. But the question I want to ans ask that, that'll, that'll organize the, the structure, if you will, of this sermon is this. How do we acquire or maintain inner stability in an unstable world? How do we maintain inner stability? How do we get inner stability when everything is shaking around us in an unstable world? And my one word answer, which I'm going to take from the scriptures, is this. Contemplation. Contemplation. We need, right now, to be contemplative people. To contemplate, if you look it up in the dictionary, means to, to look thoughtfully at something. To stare thoughtfully at something. To think deeply at, about something. So as Christians, we need to be contemplative. We need, in this time of instability, to be people who think deeply about God and who think deeply about His Word. Unless you have rhythms of contemplation in your life right now, unless you have rhythms of regular communion with God, right now, unless you have rhythms of prayer and talking with God about what's going on in you and around you, you'll simply be at the mercy of the anxiety of your circumstances. You'll be controlled by the spirit of the age and not by the spirit of God. But as Christians, what God is looking for in this moment of crisis is people who are controlled by the spirit of God and not controlled by the spirit of the age. And that happens through deep thinking about God, which I'm referring to as contemplation. Let's look at God's word here. I want to focus on Joshua chapter 1, verse 8, but I want to read the larger context surrounding that. So I'm going to read verses 1 through 9 of the beginning of the book of Joshua. Now Joshua, just so you know, is uh, facing some real instability. His world is completely unstable right now, and he's facing some trials as well. And, and the Israelites are getting ready to go into the promised land after 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, and Joshua has been appointed the leader to take them into the promised land and to begin to wage war with the countries that are there that they need to displace. So he's, he's in this trial. He's in a life trial. It's very demanding. Life has put him in a spiritually vulnerable place. So what I want to do is listen in to what God says to Joshua in his trial and his instability and how God offers stability to him that we might learn from it as well. God speaks to Joshua here, and because this is his holy, inerrant word, he's speaking to us as well. So let's, let's look at his word. Joshua 1, verses 1 through 9. After the death of Moses, a servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, now that you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, to the great sea, toward the going down of the sun, shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. 
I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Don't turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened, and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Lord, I pray that you would take your word, that you would plant it deep into our hearts, that we might be secure through every storm, that we might find Jesus to be a solid rock to stand on when all around our soul gives way, when all around we're facing instability. Lord, I pray that we would find stability in an increasingly unstable world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, let me make sure, let's just make sure that you understand the circumstances Joshua is facing right now. The book begins with a death notice, as you see that, right? After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord. Joshua's friend, probably one of his best friends, his mentor, Moses, is dead. And up to this point in the history of this nation, there's never been a leader like Moses. Moses, God spoke to Moses like he spoke to a friend. He did some of the most powerful miracles that have ever been done. When we read the story of the plagues and the delivery of the Israelites out of slavery, he, he functioned like a type of Christ. What do I mean by that? Well, Moses delivered the people, God's people, out of slavery in Egypt. Jesus delivers God's people from slavery to sin. The dude was an extraordinary leader. He... He was, he was so close to God, he spent so much time in the presence of God that his face would shine at times. And he was a special man. The scripture says that he was a humble man and he loved God and he loved God's people. And now he's dead and Joshua's got to take his place and we're talking big shoes to fill. And and let's remember this, too, that, the, that when we read our Old Testament, we see that the Israelite people were not an easy people to lead. These, these people were difficult. They were constantly complaining. They were stiff-necked. They were hard to lead. Moses, in fact, the reason why Moses isn't going into the promised land is because God disciplined him because Moses got lost his cool with the people, got angry with them for the way in which they would respond. And so there are difficult people to lead. So not only is Moses gone, but Joshua's got to lead this people who are extremely difficult to, to lead. And they're going to war. And war is always difficult. Joshua's a military commander. He's also tasked with the spiritual leadership of the country. But, he, but Joshua knows what war means. They're going into the promised land, but the promised land is not empty. The promised land is not just land. There's people living there. Their enemies live there. The enemies of God live there. And so they've got to cross the Jordan. They've got this barrier to cross. It's a flood stage. They've got to go over there and they've got to rally themselves 
for war. And Joshua, because he's a military commander, because he's done this before, he knows what war means. War means instability. War means blood. War means asking people to do difficult things. War means pain. War means death. Joshua knows this. Joshua is a man who is facing some extremely difficult challenges. What this passage of scripture does is it highlights the challenges of leadership. And if you're someone who feels like God is putting them, calling them, or placing them into a leadership role, this will be a good section of scripture to have memorized. Those are the, the circumstances that Joshua was confronting. Now I want to ask this question. What does Joshua need? What does he need right now? And we could start creating. We could make a little list and start creating all the things that he needs. But let's think about it. He needs battle tactics, right? Because he's going into war. He needs intel. He needs spies to go out into the land. Joshua was a spy himself. So, so he needs spies to go out into the land and spy on the, the, the military arrangements of the people they're going to be engaged in battle with. So he needs that kind of information. He needs geographic information. He needs climate information. He needs topographical maps. He needs, he needs a lot of, of information. He needs leadership strategies. He needs motivational techniques for motivating people. How do you motivate people who are not easily motivated? He needs motivational techniques. He needs all of these things. And here we have God, the first person who speaks in the book of Joshua. We have him speaking to Joshua about what he needs most. In the face of this crisis, what does God say Joshua needs most? What's the irreducible minimum? What does he need in his life? And what God would say what God says to Joshua is he needs meditation. He needs contemplation. It's not that he doesn't need all those other things that we just rattled off. But God is saying, if you're going to be successful, if you're going to be strong, if you're going to be stable in the face of an unstable crisis and in an unstable world, what you need is contemplation. You need to think deeply. In this case, God is saying about me and about my word. That's what's more important than everything else. You need to be a contemplative man, Joshua. Now, I want you to notice what God says. There's a promise for success. He says you're going to have good success, but that success is dependent upon something. You're going to have success for navigating life and leadership and all of these difficulties. If you will, Joshua, meditate, think deeply, be contemplative about God's word. If you meditate on it day and night, then you'll be prosperous. Now, I wonder why God didn't just say read. He just didn't say, if you'll read my word day and night. Well, that's a challenge for us. I wonder how you're using your time, Brandon and Grace. I wonder how we're using our time. Are we giving time to thinking deeply about God and his word? We need more than just reading. God didn't just say this to Joshua, just read the word. He said, meditate on it. He said, chew on it. He said, think about it. Think deeply about it. Ask questions of it. Be contemplative. It's more than just moving the bookmark. 
It's communion with your loving Father through contemplation of his holy word. Why, though? Why does God call Joshua to meditate on his word? Why does he do that? He says it right here. You shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do. Meditation serves a purpose. God wants to move us always from knowing his word to doing his word, from knowing his word to doing his word, from knowing to doing, knowing to doing. It's always that way. Jesus was always, the way he preached, he always wanted his disciples not just to know, but to do. He's always, God is always moving us from moving from, from knowing to doing, from knowing to doing. That's what's most important. We meditate on God's word, brand new on grace, that we might do it. If we're involved in Bible studies, where all we do is make our brains big, where all we do is get puffed up in our Bible knowledge, that's never what God intended. A Bible study where you only grow in knowledge but never get around to doing is dangerous. You should run away from that Bible study. In the Bible studies that we're doing on Zoom right now, we should be asking this question, Am I learning so that I can do? Am I knowing so that I can do? We're moving from knowing to doing. And what is the bridge that moves us from knowing to doing? It's contemplation. It's meditation. That's the bridge. What moves us from knowing God's word to doing God's word? It's contemplation. It's deep thinking about his word. Contemplation defined. Here's how I'm defining it. And I'm, and I'm saying that contemplation is what we need. If we want to find stability in a world that is unstable, we need biblical contemplation. And I'm defining biblical contemplation this way. It's deep thinking about the truths of Scripture that leads to a response. Notice, church, it's not just deep thinking about the truths of Scripture. That would be an insufficient definition of biblical contemplation. It's deep thinking about the truths of Scripture that leads us to respond. And there's thousands and thousands of responses that it can lead us to. But what we need in this time is to be thinking deeply about God's Word, to contemplate it, to think about it, to chew on it, to meditate on it, so that it would result in action. What I said a couple weeks ago is... Is, is as we looked at God's word, God gave us reasons for confidence, but it's not enough to just give us reasons for confidence. That reasoning needs to translate into expressions of confidence. That's what we're talking about. Knowing that leads to doing. What Joshua needed in his stress and in anxiety of the leadership conditions that he found himself in was a non-anxious presence. That's what you need right now, Brandy One Grace. That's what the world needs right now. The world doesn't need us adding to the noise of anxiety. The world doesn't need any more anxious energy. Turn on the news. Go to Twitter. You see it. It's all around you. Talk to your neighbors. There's anxious energy anywhere. The world doesn't need any more anxious energy. What the world needs is for Christians to live with a non-anxious presence. How do we do that? We've got to spend time with the Lord. 
We've got to spend time with God. The way we get that is through contemplation of his word. We contemplate it. We think deeply about it. And then the result is we act in a godly way. We act in, in the situations God has placed us in the way God would act. We act godly, like God. This is the need of the hour. The need of the hour for a non-anxious presence. The temptation to anxiety is significant right now for all of us. Anxiety is like panic. I mentioned this last week. Panic spreads like wildfire. It doesn't take anything to spread panic. You just need a few people panicking. Anxiety is the same way. Anxiety will spread through a family so quickly if you just get two people unleashing their anxiety. Anxiety will spread through a business. Anxiety will spread in a marriage. Anxiety will spread among your roommates. Anxiety will spread through a congregation if we allow, if we're governed by the spirit of the age and not by the spirit of God. That's what anxiety does. I listened to a great webinar last week that John Stark did. He's a pastor up in, in, uh, up in Manhattan. And he was just sharing some of the things that anxiety does. See if you can relate to these things. Anxiety arouses feelings of helplessness. You're feeling that right now. You're feeling that with COVID, right? You feel helpless. Anxiety contributes to those feelings of self-doubt. Anxiety decreases our capacity to learn. Anxiety demands certainty. We want answers. We want a vaccine. We want a solution. We want leaders to solve this thing. We demand certainty. Anxiety interrupts our concentration. Anxiety floods the nervous system so we can't hear what is said without distortion and we can't respond with any peace or clarity. Anxiety makes us want to rush to a quick fix. Anxiety stiffens our position against people. Anxiety creates gridlock in our minds and our imagination so we can't think of alternatives. We can't think about options. And it's not as if every single one of us is on uh, the front lines. I thank God, though, for, for the medical professionals that are part of Brandy One Grace, that are, that are serving in ways that are, that's in the line of fire, and we should be praying for them, and we are praying for you. But if they're anxious, if we're anxious, then, then this is what it does. What does a non-anxious presence do? Let's think about that for a minute. What does a non-anxious presence do? Keep our calm. We keep calm for the purpose of reflection, for the purpose of conversation. The non-anxious person is able to observe what is happening around them, but even what is happening in oneself. The non-anxious person uses knowledge to, to suppress impulses and to control those knee-jerk emotional reactions. The non-anxious person is able to tolerate discomfort, able to tolerate pain, able to tolerate uncertainty, and in the midst of crisis to maintain a clear sense of direction. What we need is a non-anxious presence. Let me ask, let me ask you a question, Brandy One Grace. What are you offering right now to your family, to your roommates, to your coworkers, to your neighbors? Are you offering a non-anxious presence or are you offering anxious energy? To be a non-anxious presence means to acknowledge anxiety. It doesn't mean, it doesn't erase our anxiety. We're all anxious right now. 
And anxiety is expressing itself in a lot of different ways, just like our fears. So, so the non-anxious person isn't someone who ignores anxiety. They acknowledge their anxiety, but they don't let anxiety be the driver of our behaviors. The non-anxious presence is a transformed presence. And you get that transformed presence the same way that Joshua got it. You get it through contemplation. We're either offering people our transformed presence or giving off anxious energy. What are you offering people? What are you giving off? Why not take a few minutes today and ask some people that are close to you, what am I, what are you getting from me? What am I giving off? What's the aroma? What's the flavor of my life? Is it anxious energy? Or is it a non-anxious presence? When you, are people trying to get away from you because of how fearful and anxious you make them? Or do they find you to be a, a calming agent, a damping agent? Do they find in you someone, do they find stability in a world that's unstable? This is an important question for us, church. What this crisis is doing is it reveals what we've really built our lives around. It reveals that, that we've really built our lives around uh, security. We've built our lives around safety. We've built our lives around money. We've built our lives around medical technology and the avoidance of trial and death. But Brandy One Grace, will, will we be a church that lives with a resilient hope? Will we be a church that lives with resilience in the face of this trial? Or are we going to crumble like, like the world around us, just crumble in our anxieties and our fears? The church, I believe that just from this scripture that the Bible teaches us that those who don't crumble in the face of their fear and anxieties are those who have contemplated God, who think about God and think about his word. And then God, through communion and prayer, provides a calmness with which they're able to navigate the trials of this crisis and the trials of life. So we need to find a rhythm of contemplation in our lives. Do you have that? What we're finding is the system that we have built, the society system we've built has been shut down. God shut down. And the system we've built has been built, has created massive amounts of wealth, but it hasn't created a very resilient people. God wants to create resilient people out of us. I, I heard uh, Mark Sayers talking about how this crisis is providing us with a reboot. The life script that we've operated on needs an update. The system is powering down. God's in control, though. He's going to give us a reboot. The system will power back up again. The system's going to do that. But what will our lives look like? What will we look like when we reemerge? As humans, we are creatures of habit. And we're going to try to apply the same old habits to a new system. And it won't work. 
This time of isolation, God has done something for us. He's given us time to rethink, to rebuild, to contemplate. Are you doing that, church? Do you have a time set aside to contemplate God and his word, to be refreshed in the Lord? I wonder if you're doing this. I'm having to do this. My normal routine is shot. My normal routine is so jacked up, just like all of yours. So what I'm trying to do is ask myself, what does my new routine look like? And how is contemplation of God and his word built into that new routine? God's given us an opportunity here. If, if we're working so hard and Zooming so much and spending so much time flying around with anxious energy and not finding time to slow down, then we're missing what God has for us in this crisis, Brandy Wine Grace. God is slowing us down that we might contemplate him and his word. One of the things we provided this week, you'll see it in the e-liturgy link or even in the YouTube link, is a list of resources to help you to contemplate, especially as we're heading towards Good Friday next week and Easter. We provide some resources there that will help you to contemplate our Savior and the work that he accomplished through his life, death, and resurrection. Check your email. Check the YouTube link. I also started using something this week that John uh, Stark actually recommended on the webinar. It's the Daily Prayer app. It's been really neat. You can set notifications to be reminded to pray in the morning, to pray midday, to pray around dinner time, and then to pray in the late evening. I've set it to remind myself to pray midday, because that's when I forget to pray, and to pray right before I go to bed. And it's just a resource that guides your prayers, and it's been very helpful to connect me with God and his word so that I could find stability in a world that's unstable. We need to rest in God in these times. We need times of contemplation, but some of us can't rest. We can't rest because our mind is churning, because we, we feel the instability of the world all around us. And we can't rest. We can't slow down. And the, the Lord is calling us, just like he called Joshua, to remember that we'll have success, that he'll see us through this. And the way to a non-anxious presence is through contemplation of his word. What we need to do is to trust God. And a way to trust God is to stop and get what only God can give us. Are you stopping, church? and getting what only God can give you? Are you stopping? Are you pausing? Are you contemplating in such a way that you can get what only God can give you? Otherwise, you're going to get what the spirit of the age is going to give you. You're going to get what your, your anxious circumstances give you, and you're going to lead and care and minister out of that, not out of a transformed presence. The best thing, Brandywine Grace, we offer to everyone around us through this trial is our transformed presence. You're confronting your limitations. I'm confronting my limitations. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. It's good to confront our limitations. We've, ne we've probably never, ever been closer to reality than we are right now. We haven't become more needy as a society. We're not more needy. We're just being shown how needy we really are. And God can use this to draw us to himself. Let your neediness, let your anxious thoughts, let your fears, let your lack of confidence, let your worries 
drive you to a great Savior who is full of steadfast love and grace and who's going to see you through all trials, the greatest trials, even death. Let him fill you with his spirit so that your presence is transformed. Some of you are trying to push past your limitations in your own strength. You're getting headaches. I've been getting so many headaches. I have more headaches the last two weeks than I ever have. I've been wondering, I hope people say, that. what do they do with their time off? I feel like I'm working harder now than I've ever worked. And it's stressful and I feel anxious over it. And what God is saying is, Kenny, 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 slow down. Look to me. Contemplate me. Contemplate my word. And I will give you success. And you'll prosper. Don't look from the right. Don't look to the left. Look to me and look to my word. Find stability in a world that is unstable. Church, that's, that's what God is calling us to. Maybe what God is doing is bringing us to the end of our false sense of security, our false ideas. Maybe he's bringing us to the end of ourselves that we might run to him and get what only he can give us and get what he wants to give us. Maybe God has something in store for us. Church, do you dare to believe that? I believe that. Maybe what's in store for us is a deeper relationship with Jesus. Maybe what's in store for us, if we'll contemplate, is a deeper joy, a deeper effectiveness and ministry to others, a deeper love for God and a deeper love for our neighbor. Martin Lloyd-Jones said it this way. He said, renewal happens when people come to the end of themselves. Brandywine Grace, is COVID-19 bringing you closer to the end of yourself? Then I say with Martin Lloyd-Jones that you are closer to spiritual renewal in your life than maybe you have ever been before. God renews churches through renewed people, but he wants to start with you. He wants to start with me. God renews communities through a renewed people. Start with yourself. Let's be a people who are finding stability in an unstable word through steadfast, serious contemplation of God and his word, church. Then we'll offer the, the unstable world around us our transformed presence, and not be adding to the anxiety that's all around us. Amen. Church, let's do that. Let's look to God for that. I believe he's doing that in you, and I believe that we'll find stability in an unstable world when we do, just as God called Joshua to, to contemplate him and his word. Amen. Grace and peace be with you.